you're still standing, if you'll find in your Bibles Luke chapter 22, verse 63. Luke chapter 22, verse 63. I will read through the end of the chapter, and then in the next uh, two months, we'll be looking at those last two chapters of Luke. We come now to, uh, we're in the midst of, but really in earnest, we come to what's been called the passion of Christ, his suffering. And so would you hear and receive from God's word as I read it uh, to you. Luke chapter 22, verse 63. I hear the word of the Lord. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. And they also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council. And they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God, So they all said, are you the son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. And God, we pray that you would bless and add your understanding to the reading and now preaching of your word. Lord, we would see Jesus. And I pray that by your spirit, we would see him. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. From October 2016 to two years later on October 2018, American pastor Andrew Brunson was held in Turkey as a political hostage. Pastor Brunson was accused of having links with an organization involved in a failed 2016 coup attempt, as well as other nefarious associations. But most observers agree that Turkey's president was keeping him imprisoned for diplomatic leverage. In May of 2018, one of his hearings for this case lasted 11 hours. The judge dismissed all of Brunson's defense witnesses without listening to any of their testimony. The prosecution used secret witnesses who, quote, testified through video monitors that distorted their faces and voices in order to conceal their identities. Sandra Jolie, vice chair of the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, attended the case and released the following statement, quote, We leave the courthouse with serious concerns. Today's 11 hours of proceedings were dominated by wild conspiracies, tortured logic, and secret witnesses, but no real evidence to speak of. Upon all these rests a man's life. On October 12, 2018, Brunson was released... Uh, but not before being convicted of aiding in terrorism, but sentenced to time served. Uh, He was released from from Turkish custody and has been in the United States ever since, speaking and ministering even from his experience. Uh, This is just one of many cases that we could find of false trials and persecution of God's people. It's, It's interesting that some of the very descriptions we just heard could so easily describe 
what we see here in our passage, and certainly when we look to the other Gospels as well, uh, false witnesses, uh, fake trials with nefarious ends. That's what's happening to Jesus here, and by the end of our passage, he is more literally on the way to the cross, uh, charged by the Jewish leaders. So that we could say, and the title of the sermon asks this question, uh, all throughout Luke, people have responded to Jesus in one of two ways, and now we see the Jewish leaders doing the same, and on the cross the same, and, and, and really for the rest of history until Christ comes back, it's either blasphemy against him, dishonor to his name, or belief, trust in him. And that really is my prayer for you this morning. This morning, and really the rest of these passages, as we see Jesus head to the cross, my prayer is that you would see Jesus, this Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Messiah, uh, the one chosen for just a time as this. Would you see Jesus in the midst of his passion, in the midst of his suffering, and would you put your trust in him, whether for the first time this morning or uh, you've done so many times but need reminded to run to him for for refuge. See this Jesus condemned and headed for the cross. Luke really has in mind for us and the three points, if you're following along, really follow this. Luke's focus here is on Jesus' identity. Who is he? And so we'll answer that in three ways from the text. In many ways, the leaders that are condemning him uh, give us these true designations of who Jesus is. Number one, he is the Christ. Number two, he is the Son of Man. And finally, we'll see that he is the Son of God. Would you see this Jesus. So first, the Christ, or the Messiah, the chosen one. We'll look at verses 63 through 68. Of course, remember the context here. We're, we're in the midst of Jesus' suffering. He, he was preparing himself and his disciples in the garden. You know, at the height of, we'd said, his struggle, he prayed, not my will, but your will, Father, be done. And so he leaves the garden ready to go to the cross. Uh, He's arrested, he's betrayed with a kiss by one of his disciples. He's put into custody. We see Peter denying Jesus as Jesus predicted. And that leads us to our passage. He is in custody. And if Luke, uh, we said a few weeks ago, uh, the passage in the garden, Luke was sort of right before the cross, right before all this, he was answering the question, why? Why is this happening to Jesus? And Luke and Jesus himself turned to Isaiah to say he was crushed for our iniquities. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He wasn't just dying a martyr's death. He was going to die for the sins of his people. If Luke was answering the question, why, before, now he's answering the question, who? Who is this Jesus? Who is this man going to the cross? Who are we supposed to see him as? But even before that, verse 63, we see his suffering, his physical suffering, start in earnest. We see him mocked, beaten, and blasphemed in verses 63 through 65. Verse 63, now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him, and they beat him. These are likely the chief priest's guards. He's under their authority at this point. He's under the Jewish authority. Uh, Far from innocent until proven guilty, here they're inflicting punishment before a trial has even happened, right? Right? Of course, this wouldn't be unheard of at this time in history or this place. 
but we know Jesus is the innocent one, and yet here he's already in custody, being mocked, being beaten. The language in the Greek is that it's continual. It's not just one mockery or one a fist on him or uh, some sort of blunt instrument, but many. Verse 65 says, they said many other things against him. And as if this isn't enough, verse 64 says, they blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And not only do they mock him and, and beat him, the innocent one, but now they make a game out of it. And they put a blindfold on him uh, and they, you know, they, they strike him on the cheek and, and say, who was it, Jesus? Was it me or was it my buddy over there? And they strike him on the other cheek and they say, who was it? You say you're a prophet. A prophet should know, even without seeing, who's striking you. Some commentators think there were actually games, children's games at the time, with blindfolds and, and striking and trying to guess who hit you. And so they're making a child's game out of Jesus insulting him. And it's interesting, they are mocking what they've probably heard, right? In Luke seven sixteen. the people fear God and say, a great prophet has arisen among us. And elsewhere in the gospels, you know, it says, who, who is this? He, he teaches as one with authority, not like the scribes. We don't really like listening to them, but no, he teaches with authority. Jesus claimed to be a prophet, the prophet. The people saw him as such, and now these guards are mocking that, saying, oh yeah, if you're a prophet, you should be able to prophesy. And yet they don't realize that what they're doing, their sinful actions, are actually fulfilling a prediction that Jesus had made as prophet. Back in Luke 18, he said, Jesus said of himself, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. So they mock him as a prophet, but their very actions actually prove that he's a prophet who predicted this very encounter. What's the word that Luke has in summary for their behavior? It's in verse 65. He says, they did many things, other things against him, blaspheming him. Luke is tipping his hat right at the beginning, before the mock trial. Jesus, as we'll see, is going to be condemned of blasphemy. A blasphemy, uh, even in English, and also connected with this word, means in, insulting or showing contempt for God, or claiming the attributes or identity with God, uh, or both, as it were. And Luke tells us, he theologically interprets that what they're doing to Jesus, fully God and fully man, is blaspheming him, uh, even blaspheming God. And so we see then in verse 66, this identity come out. The, the mock trial begins, right? At the assembly of the elders, the people, they gathered together, both chief priests and scribes. Uh, this would have been called the Sanhedrin. Uh, we've seen them before, right? When Jesus, certainly throughout the gospel, but when he entered Jerusalem, uh, the Sanhedrin took particular note because this would have been high priests, this would have been some Pharisees, uh, all of these Jewish leaders who at this point They've made uh, their will known. They are trying to put Jesus to death. They want him out of the way, but they fear the people. And here is their moment, as it were. They gather together. They have him in custody. And so they start their so-called trial. They say in verse 67, if you are the Christ, tell us. If you are the Christ, 
uh, tell us that you could hear the ire in their tone. And it's interesting, like we said, they see this as a trap, but they don't realize that they're actually identifying Jesus with who he is. Uh, The Christ would have been the Messiah, would be another word, the anointed one, uh, the chosen one, the promised one. And in the Old Testament, there were many Christs, many Messiahs with a lowercase M or C, uh, those who were literally chosen by God, uh, called by God, often literally anointed, that's why it means anointed one, anointed with oil for a particular service as king or as prophet or as priest, or even just sometimes God would call someone and use them for a battle or something, anointed ones, chosen ones, deliverers. But even in the Old Testament prophets, there became a growing expectation that there would be one Messiah, one Christ who would come, who would fulfill all the Old Testament. As Jesus has said, he came to fulfill everything that is written about him. And even these Jewish leaders would have had this expectation. So they're not denying that there could be a Messiah. They're denying that Jesus is the Messiah. And yet Luke has already identified him as such. And in some ways, this whole passage is sort of Luke to the reader, to you, uh, summarizing and, and saying, look what I've been trying to show you this, this whole time. This is who Jesus is. Right in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's sort of as bookends to his gospel. Jesus is Christ, the chosen one. Or Luke chapter 9, verse 20, when, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? What does Peter answer? You are the Christ, the Son of God. Peter didn't understand everything, but he understood that Jesus was the chosen one, was the Messiah. And yet these leaders, though they ask, or they seem to ask a legitimate question They're not really asking, are they? They're asking in a way to condemn him by his own words. That's why Jesus says, if I tell you, if Jesus just said, yes, I'm the Christ, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. We've seen this dynamic already back in a few chapters before, right? When Jesus asks them, Hey, John, my forerunner, was he from God or from man? It's one or the other. And uh, they gathered together after some time and said, we don't know. They did know, but they feared the people. They weren't willing to answer. And so Jesus says, even if I asked you the same question, am I the Christ? They know what they believe. They would say, no, you're not, but they wouldn't answer. And so Jesus doesn't feign to give them an answer, though we know that he saw himself as the Christ. You know, you've been in that situation before where you've been asked a question that's not really a question. That's like a trap laid out. And no matter what you say, you know that you know, their eyes are wide, sort of ready to, to pounce. You know, have you ever been asked, are you a Christian? And you know your answer is yes, but you have questions first. What do you mean by Christian? Or what are you hoping I say? What baggage are they bringing with that question, right? And so Jesus doesn't answer because he knows their heart has become hard. Hardened to the point where they won't receive him for who he is. And, and, and friend, I, I need to warn you this morning to be warned by their example. 
our, our behaviors and actions are not neutral. Um, in other words, it's, it's not as if we're just presented by facts throughout our life and we just look at the facts and we decide and it's sort of a neutral playing field. Every decision we make is shaping us, forming us, and influencing the next decision that we'll make. Uh, take anger, for instance. Someone who struggles with anger, outbursts of anger, inappropriate outbursts of anger. Uh, might be tempted to think, if I could just get it out of my system, if I could just yell at that person just once, then I'll get it out of my system and, and, and now I won't deal with anger anymore. But that person realizes when they do that, they've actually opened up new pathways in their mind so that the next time a trigger comes up, oh man, the mind and body is ready. It says, we know what to do with this and goes straight to an outburst of anger, probably in greater intensity. Here are these Jewish leaders who have heard the gospel, who have heard Jesus say that he is the Christ, who have heard God's word from the Old Testament to them. And this isn't the first time. This is the climax of their rejection of him. And each time that they ignored him or rejected him, it's like their heart was getting crusted over. It's like their eyes were being blinded more and more. And friend, if that's you today, I need to tell you today to repent to turn from that, to believe, to see this Jesus, to not assume, oh yeah, 10 years from now, I'll, 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 yes, I'll give it some time, I'll open the Bible, I'll, I'll give his claims a hearing, but just not today. It doesn't really fit. Assuming that you'll be alive 10 years from now, and assuming that your heart will not be hardened more and more and more over the next 10 years. You are hearing the gospel proclaimed to you right now that Jesus is the is the Christ. He came, died on the cross for his people. That those who believe in him are given eyes to see and hearts to believe. I don't ignore this message or put off this message. Today is the day of salvation. Your only hope is to pray, Lord, open my eyes. Let me see Jesus. Don't let me be like these rulers who knew their Bibles better than I do and yet couldn't see Jesus. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow, not when your kids get older, not when you're done living the life that you want to live and you've checked off most of the bucket list. Today, Christ is before you. Put your faith in him and he will change, uh, he will change your heart for him. Jesus is the Christ we see, secondly, that Jesus is the Son of Man in verse 69. Verse 69, Jesus says, right, he just had said, you won't answer if I, if I ask you. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Jesus gives an identity designation, and this is actually his favorite, especially in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, if you do a search, you could just Google it. How many times do you see the word the Son of Man in the Gospel of Luke? It's all over. It's Jesus' favorite way of speaking of himself. And it's, it's informed. It's, it's not just a random designation. Uh, he has Psalm 110 in mind. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. As he's talking about being ascended to the right hand. He has Daniel 713 in mind. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. 
Jesus calls himself the son of man. He's, he's truly man as much as he is truly God. Uh, his title of son of man points both to what we call his humiliation and his exaltation. We're right in the midst of his humiliation. Um, being mocked, spit upon, suffered, he would die. He would be under the power of death for a time. The, the Lord of life, the author of life, put to death. But then we would see his exaltation, that he would rise again, that he would be seated at the right hand of the Father, that one day he would come in glory and power, and these so-called leaders, so-called judges, would stand before him and have to answer for exactly this time before him as king. That's his exaltation. And we'll get there as we keep going in the Gospel of Luke. But it's interesting, even in his humiliation, there's, a, there's an exalting aspect of what's happening here. That's wonderful. Um, it's so epic. <laughs> there's a glorious aspect even to the cross for believers. Uh, you know, we know John 3.16, but right before that, what does Jesus say? And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So that for the believer, the cross is at one point the lowest point in human history, and it's the highest point in redemptive history. Everything moved toward and flows from Jesus' death on the cross for his people. That's why we sing, and we'll sing in a few weeks, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross on which the Prince of Glory died. We have worship song after hymn, after spiritual song about the cross of Christ. And believers, unbelievers scratch their heads and say, you're singing about him dying? And we say, yeah. Because on it the Prince of Glory died for me, the Son of Man. The Son of Man. Christian, do you see him lifted up for you? even as he heads to the cross, even in this passage. The Son of Man who has power, or the Son of Man who came to seek and to save the lost. Lastly, we'll look at his identity as the Son of God. The Son of God. And we also see the charge that is brought against him in verses 70 through 71. They hear Jesus say this, and they rightly make a connection. They hear him talk about being seated at the right hand of power. And, and they ask him, are you the son of God then? You know, are you really saying this? They're getting to the end of the trial. They, they know that if he answers, they have him. And of course, their understanding of son of God, we have a fuller, you know, that he was fully God and fully man. The, the son of God in a unique sense. This was revealed to us in the New Testament. They, I, I think what they're getting at is, the things you're saying, Jesus, that you're seated at the right hand of God, we wouldn't be willing to say that. You're at the right hand of power. You, you have authority to do what he does. You're saying that you're the son of God in some unique sense. No one's allowed to say that. Is that what you're saying, Jesus? And here, Jesus says, you say that I am. Similar to, we'll see with Pilate, you know, are you king of the Jews? And similarly, he says something like, you say that I am. You've said it from your lips. Uh, Jesus isn't dodging the question. He's, uh, one commentator puts it this way. Um, he calls it a, a, a begrudging, guarded affirmative. Because <laughs> again, when they ask the question, they are not just saying, we want to see the facts. Tell us, 
are you the son of God? No. Their question has poison in it, has baggage to it. But even here, Jesus does answer. And he, they took it as an affirmative because what do they say? What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. They don't believe it, but even the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God, Luke 4, 51. And the demons came and many cried out saying, you are the Son of God, and he silences them. Uh, even Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Or later in, in John, you see Thomas answers and says, my Lord and my God. And the disciples in Matthew 28, they fall down before him and worship him. And he doesn't correct them and say, no, 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 don't worship me. No, he receives their praise, their worship. And so this is this moment that we see blasphemy or belief. The rulers have reached the height of blasphemy against him by what they accuse him of. But believers come and see the beauty of who he is. They are, the, the height of blasphemy is that they accuse him of that very thing. It's more explicit in Matthew chapter 26. The high priest tears his robes and says he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. And yet the high priest in the council has uttered true blasphemy, blasphemy of blasphemies. They have accused Christ, the Son of God, the righteous one, of doing the very thing which he could never do, which is to lie on the one hand, he could never, or to dishonor his Father, of whom he's willing to die on the cross to obey. And yet they have their ammunition. They're ready. And we with them are headed soon to Pilate and to the cross. And of course, Jesus, this was plan A. And so Christian, do you see him? Do you see your Savior, the beloved one of God, this Jesus, the one who could have called down armies of angels to deliver him in this moment, the one who could have silenced these enemies with a single word, the one who willingly submitted himself to their farce of a trial, who willingly went to the cross to be rejected by the eyes of pride but received by the eyes of faith. Do you see this Jesus? Do you believe in this Jesus? They blasphemed, but do you believe? They dishonored his righteous name, but do you devote yourself and your life to him? They mistreated him, but do you trust him? They reviled him, do you find your very refuge by abiding in him? Christian, believe in, trust in, find refuge in this Jesus, this Christ, this Son of Man, this Son of God, your Savior. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that it shows us Jesus so clearly. That we could have him right in front of our eyes. I pray that you would give us eyes of faith to see him, to believe in him, to trust in him, to worship him for his obedience, for his willingness to suffer on our behalf, all the things that we deserved. And so would you help us to live, uh, even this week, um, only for you and your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name.